0: Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zibigowski, going to
1: get to the outside.
0: He has blockers in front. Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja. inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame has
1: scores. Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones, a letter of Tony
0: Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores! Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish?
1: What's up, this is Sunday Saturday Irish, I'm Tyler Rojak and with me as always is my co-host Luke Smith. And we're here to get you ready for the top 10 matchup that's going to take place in South Bend this weekend as the number seven Cincinnati Bearcats come to town to take on the number nine Notre Dame Fighting Irish on Saturday at 2 30 p.m. Eastern. Um, full disclosure, we're recording this on Wednesday, and today is probably the first day Luke and I feel back to 100% after our big weekend in Chicago, watching Notre Dame dominate. Number 18, but now unranked Wisconsin, and we've already got another huge game to talk about, but. Such is life as a Notre Dame fan. The Irish are getting points again this weekend. Vegas didn't learn after last week, and this game is at home, so it makes even less sense than before. But hey, that gives you guys the opportunity to make some money this weekend. At the time of this recording, Cincinnati is two-point favorites, and the over-under is at 50.5. Cincinnati has been really good these past few years. Luke Fickle definitely has the program going in the right direction. Um, But I think Luke and I both find this to be pretty uh, disrespectful, honestly, and we'll get... More into that in a bit, Um, but we'll start with the plethora and honestly somewhat weird amount of connections that tie these two teams. So you probably heard them all already, but Luke, which one interests you the most this
0: weekend? I think I'd have to say, I think that the one that has the most meaning is probably the Mickens and Freeman recently coaching at Cincinnati and Mickens being an All-American there himself as a player. But I think the Brian Kelly one is just like, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, the trade right. That's where he was the coach before this because, I mean, we just talked about last episode he's the all-time winning as coach Notre Dame. It's sometimes hard to forget that he had other stops because he's been here so long now. And if you remember when he left, things were not uh, things were not very joyful in, in Cincinnati. So I don't know what the people there remember or have forgotten. I heard some other podcasts they mention that – the players in this game were in fourth grade when he left Cincinnati, so that's pretty wild to believe as well. But I don't know. I think that one sticks out to me. Obviously, um, just kind of like a lot of recycling back and forth between the two, whether it's us sending assistant coaches there like Mike Denbrock and or sending players like Michael Young there. Um, and then obviously Jeff Quinn and Mike Elston were both at Cincinnati as well. So, yeah, like there, there's a lot. Um, it's kind of hard to wrap your your arms around all of it.
1: Yeah, I think for Kelly, it doesn't really matter to him much at all. For Freeman, I'm sure it does. And for Mickens, obviously, we mentioned this before when we had Pete Sampson on, Um, Mike Mickens told Cam Hart and the Notre Dame cornerbacks that this game is personal. And it makes sense. I mean, Mickens played there. He was an All-American and was a coach there for a little bit before coming over to Notre Dame. And then obviously Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, followed him. It's a little bit interesting to me, though, because last week we were just talking about how like Jack Cohn was going against his former team and the impact that that might have. Like, Did he have any more knowledge of the Wisconsin defense than before? Well, if he did, it clearly didn't show on Saturday. This one is obviously a little bit different because Freeman and Mickens both coached a lot of the players on the current roster, and in Freeman's case, recruited a bunch of them, so he knows a lot of their strengths and weaknesses, but... I don't really know how to gauge the impact that that's going to have. I mean, I'm sure it has some, and Freeman understands their personnel and what they like to do over there a little bit more than most. But how much of an impact do you think these connections will have on the actual game that happens on the field?
0: I'm sure there's some impact there. I I would imagine that Tommy Reese and and Freeman are probably having more conversations this week than they normally do, and I'm sure some of that is also just the magnitude of the opponent, which – you know, as I'm sitting here saying this, I realize I think this is only the third time in the Brian Kelly era that we've had a top ten matchup at Notre Dame Stadium. Uh last year, Clemson, you know what the other one was? And I just looked at it. Yeah, the
1: the Stanford game in twenty eighteen and then Notre Dame dominated Stanford and then Stanford turned out to be not that great the year. I do not remember the
0: third. Well, it was last it was last year, Notre Dame Clemson.
1: yeah, I know that one, but wasn't no, there no. another one?
0: Nope, that's it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and you know what Stanford was ranked in that game? Seventh. Makes you think a little bit. <laughs> um, I don't know, and Notre, Notre Dame was eight. So I, I, I don't remember what the spread was in that game. Um, I would struggle to believe we're, we were home dogs, but then again, I'm really struggling to believe we are home dogs this week. So what do I know? That's true. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure going back to the, the Freeman point, it definitely has to have an effect. I'm sure he's having, you know, like I said, more conversations this week, but we'll see, I guess.
1: Yeah, you would think that he knows all the strengths and weaknesses of pretty much every player on the defense. They have seven returning starters on both offense and defense. And then on the offensive side, like he was going up against them in practice every single day. So I'm sure he knows what they like to do. I just feel like at this point, um, there's just so much tape available. Mm. And tape doesn't lie. And I feel like Reese is... Leading up to this game, he's obviously seen probably every snap that the Cincinnati defense has played. So he's probably already familiar with those strengths and weaknesses just from that. But as for the actual game that's going to be taking place this weekend, um, what can you tell me about Cincinnati's offense?
0: I'll start with the guy playing quarterback. Uh, His name is Desmond Ritter, and he's been annoying me all week. And really all season, the conversation around him has been... Uh, he's been annoying me to the point where I would like to spell his name Ritter with two T's as opposed to how it's actually spelled with two D's as a sign of disrespect. However, I've refrained from that, particularly on Twitter, so that people don't accuse me of not knowing how to spell.
1: And it's a podcast. so like.
0: True. So, what's the difference? It's like, you know, whether how I'm enunciating. <laughs> so, yesterday, Ritter said to a Cincinnati reporter that their offensive coordinator and former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, who we already mentioned, Mike Denbrock, warned him about how loud Notre Dame stadium would be on Saturday. Ritter claims he told Denbrock, it shouldn't be loud for too long. While typically I would commend this sort of attitude, uh, this man is the the quarterback of Cincinnati, like p- pipe down, Sonny. I, I also find it hilarious because one, Mike Denbrock has seen quite a few games inside Notre Dame stadium. I think he knows what he's talking about. And two, the offense Ritter leads had five false starts on their first seven drives in Indiana. Yes, at Indiana, who had already had their doors blown off. The hostile environment. (laughs) Yeah, a team that already lost to Iowa by 30 or whatever it was. So I'm sure the noise won't impact you at Notre Dame Stadium, also when the Irish are wearing green. So he must not have heard about that. I don't know. Uh, The Irish are wearing green again, for those who didn't know. But anyway, so that's why he's kind of annoying me and just I don't think he's very good. But as for his game itself, um, he's okay. Like, a lot of people have been super high on him. He was a two-star recruit coming out of Louisville St. X, who I'm sure you have some feelings about. Um, Mm -hmm. And he chose the Bearcats over his only other offer of FCS Eastern Kentucky. So known more for his legs earlier in his career. Some projected him as a fourth-round pick last year, which I didn't see at all. But he came back for a fifth season. And actually, I remember at the time – There was some chatter on the Notre Dame beat that Notre Dame should go after him as a graduate transfer. I didn't really get that. Obviously, that never really happened. They had their guy in Jack Cohn. But now that he's finally in his fifth season, he can sort of throw the ball now. But not really. Um, He struggled against Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year who had its entire secondary opt-out. Somehow they get more credit for losing to a skeleton George team minus eight starters in a meaningless bowl game than Notre Dame does for actually beating number one Clemson minus Trevor Lawrence. So that's another narrative that kind of annoys me about this, but whatever. And as for Ritter, like he's also struggled throwing the ball against Indiana. He averaged 5.8 yards a pass and he only completed 55% of his passes. Some other struggles they have are are turning the ball over. They've had six already this year. Ritter's got two of those picks. Their offensive line is the weakest part of their offense, and I expect Notre Dame to get pressure all day. After what they did to Wisconsin, I, I don't see how that's not going to continue. Cincinnati, going along with the team from the Wisconsin game, they're 85th nationally in third down conversion percentage. They went 4 of 14 on third down against Indiana. As you will recall, Wisconsin went 1 of 14 on third and fourth down against Notre Dame last weekend. Ritter himself on third down. Completed less than 50% of his throws, and he just seems rattled under pressure. A lot of his game is trying to get the ball out quick, and I think Notre Dame's just going to be able to get him with four man pressure. And once he kind of sees some pressure and starts seeing some ghosts, he'll get that ball out even quicker and be a little bit more flippant with it. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about Ritter. There are other players. Uh, they have <laughs> Alec Pierce and Michael Young at receiver. Michael Young, he who was last seen. In a Notre Dame uniform, fumbling on a kickoff against USC with a wide open path for a touchdown. Quit the day before the Michigan game. Uh, those are the two big receivers. They do have a pretty good running back who transferred in from Alabama, Jerome Ford. And then the other kind of big NFL prospect is at tight end and Jeremy, w- or sorry, and Josh w- Wiley. Um, and you know, I, I kind of mentioned a, a, a host of weapons there. They're pretty balanced between passing and running. I do expect them to try to get Ritter's legs involved early on with some design runs there. And Notre Dame, on the other side, I think should probably sit in its base defense for most of the game, probably playing nickel on third down. Like I said, Ritter relies on getting the ball out quick. And if Notre Dame's getting at him quite a bit, I'm hopeful that I'll make it even quicker and that'll just kind of rattle him. And I guess kind of the last point I'll make here on this Cincinnati offense, which kind of has some misleading numbers based on what they did against... Uh, Miami of Ohio week one, and then they kind of struggled for a half with Murray State week two, and then the Indiana game, they went down 14 nothing and came back and obviously won the game by two scores, but did have their share of struggles. The last piece I'll make is Brian Kelly compared Ritter to Bryce Perkins from UVA, and in a lot of ways, I, I could see this game going the same way that one did um, since he comes out hot. I mean, you've seen the quotes they made all week, and I could see them maybe even getting you an early lead, but by the second half, Notre Dame's defensive line just takes over and starts dominating and the Irish pull away. Like I think there are some parallels to that game. Um, I'll get into that more later, but I thought that that was an interesting comparison because, one, I think that Bryce Perkins had a lot less to work with than Ritter does at Cincinnati, and I think he was better than him, but um, I thought it was an interesting comparison. Are you
1: prepared to go on record and predict a cumulative amount of turnovers that Ritter will have
0: this week, considering you are one off your prediction of six <laughs> last week with Graham Mertz. Uh yeah, I, I think a little bit more highly of Ritter than uh than Graham Mertz. Um I'm I'm I'll say two. I'll say two two turnovers. Like I said, they've got six through three games. That's not great. But um I, I think two, probably one pick, maybe two, but I'm 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 counting on two turnovers. The conversation
1: around Ritter is really interesting to me because, like you said, he had two offers coming out of high school, had no hype around him, went to St. X, which, as you mentioned, is a school in Louisville that I can't stand. And basically, like, now people are – some are extremely high on him. Even I don't get why. Into, I'm, I'm thinking of one example I was listening to before the season. I think Trent Dilfer was on Ryan Russillo's podcast, and Trent Dilfer runs the Elite 11 program, which is – Um, If you're not familiar, it's where, like, top quarterback recruits in the country come together, and it's a competition every year, and then a lot of current star college quarterbacks go back and um, interact with these guys, and basically, it's a who's who of quarterbacks and scouts and things of that nature, and I remember Trent Dilfer saying that Ritter, in terms of just overall talent, is one of the best college quarterbacks this year, and there's, like, nothing he can't do except throw the deep ball. That was his big weakness last year. It seems he's figured that out this year, and like you said, he's got guys to actually throw to. But the offense as a whole, minus him, I mean, he's still leading the way. He might not be the best, but there's no one... I mean, Pierce is definitely really solid. Michael Young is definitely more of a possession kind of receiver, but like Notre Dame, is the conversation around their offensive line is what we've heard all season, and for good reason. You and I have both harped on them quite a bit. But it's not like the Cincinnati offensive line is world beaters either. Like this is still a group of five team, right? Like Notre Dame should be able to get pressure on them all day. And, and already this season, we've talked about this earlier. Notre Dame's defensive line is, it's obviously not at the level that Georgia is, um, or Alabama, but like, it's pretty damn good. I would consider yeah one of the top groups in the country for sure.
0: Yeah. And they're just so deep. Like, I think, you have a group that deep that just keeps coming at you, and you're not used to seeing a defensive line like that. Like it can take a toll on you, is because it's just waves upon waves. Like Pete talked about it in the last episode. Early in the Brian Kelly era, it was not uncommon to see guys getting 80 snaps at T line, and now the way they're split split out so evenly, I think that only helps you as the game goes on. You got guys fresh coming in and just going after the quarterback all game.
1: Yeah, and then having Botello back, we yeah. saw last week. I mean, week that, that was his really like, huge.
0: That was like yeah. his first game ever, really. All he did last year was play. Well, he special does have a touchdown. <laughs> first game defensively, like he yeah, played I a know. bunch on special teams, and I thought he stood out. I really did. So I, that guy can only get better from here, as can the rest of the defense. I expected to see another great performance from them this weekend.
1: So against Purdue, Notre Dame sort of came out in an unfamiliar look. They went dime dollar package all game playing a bunch of dbs and then last week going against the run heavy wisconsin offense four four do you think notre dame is going to sort of resort back to the base or do you think marcus freeman has
0: something up his sleeve this week going up against his former team i think it's more of the base this week um i mean you'll, you'll see cincinnati out there sometimes in with a two tight end formation but not nearly as much as what wisconsin was doing um I mean, maybe he does have some tricks up in his, his sleeve, but I would expect it to be more of the base this weekend than last weekend, which is a little bit unique. Um, but who knows? I mean, like you said, theoretically, he should know this Cincinnati offense better than anyone. So maybe he knows the Achilles heel, and, and he's come up with a whole different thing for this weekend. But I would expect it to see more of the base.
1: Yeah, to be honest, the defenses are probably going to be dominating this game because – Notre Dame's offense clearly has limitations, but their defense has played lights out these past couple of weeks. And on the defensive side for Cincinnati, they're coached by Mike Tressel. He's their D coordinator. Um, college football re- fans will recognize the last name. And yes, he is related to the former Ohio State head coach, Jim Tressel. Jim is Mike's uncle, actually. Um, this Tressel, though, came over from Michigan State. He spent the last 14 seasons there to replace Freeman. Um, and schematically, Tressel. Has made it a point to not really change that much from what Freeman had implemented during his time there. They still run a 3 3 5. They returned seven starters from last year's defense, which is top 10 in the country in scoring defense. And to be honest, like they've taken a little bit of a dip in production, but not by much. I'd still consider them an, an elite defense. They're tied for 12th in the country in scoring defense. They're 10th in yards per play, only giving up an average of 4.1 to 5 yards per snap. They create a ton of havoc plays. Their havoc rate is 19%. That's a number we've used before. Um, If you need a refresher, a defense's havoc rate is calculated by adding the total number of tackles for loss, passes intercepted, passes broken up, and forced fumbles divided by the total number of plays. So basically, these guys have a lot of playmakers who fly around the ball and make plays all over the defense. They're led by uh, junior cornerback Sauce Gardner, which is... That's the best name in college football, right? Like, There's not one It's up
0: there for sure. I can't think of one better.
1: Tank Bigsby, the running back for Auburn, is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Vince Auburn, they're terrible. But, yeah, it's not just a cool name. Uh, He's a lockdown corner, and he's going to be a top pick in the draft next year for his speed and his Kyle Hamilton-esque length. He's huge for a corner. He's listed as 6'3", 200, and, as I mentioned, has a freakish wingspan. He typically plays the boundary, But I'm going to be really interested to see if he stays in the boundary or do they move him around to follow Kevin Austin or Michael Mayer. And to compensate most opposing offenses have tried to go away from him, go to corners, Arquan Bush and Kobe Bryant. Kobe spelled C-O-B-Y, not Uh, the other Kobe. (laughs) Yeah, it's not K-O-B-E. But those guys are pretty good too. So there really isn't one guy in their secondary that Notre Dame could really pick on, so to speak. And they've got some dudes on the front seven as well. I talked about their defensive end, MyJ Sanders, a lot on the season preview podcast. He's the guy that Notre Dame is going to have to double all game pretty much. Kind of like George Karloft is from Purdue, though. He actually hasn't stuffed the stat sheet this season, primarily because of the attention he gets on every play. He actually hasn't even registered a sack. And the defense as a whole only has four sacks in the season, but... Sanders is in the backfield a lot despite facing a lot of doubles, and if you watch that game against Indiana, uh, Michael Penix was running for his life like the entire game. He'd get the ball, drop back, and then have to run, and it's something that Notre Dame is obviously going to have to take into account how they use Kyron Williams. Are they going to keep him in the backfield again as just an extra blocker? It's not necessarily ideal for the way Notre Dame wants to operate if they want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers as much as they can, but that might just have to be the case like it was against Wisconsin. Um, at linebacker, they've got sophomore Deshaun Pace. He leads the team in tackles with 25 in three games. He's a lot like J.D. Bertrand for Notre Dame, where he just seems to be around the ball on literally every play. You can just count on seeing. You see his- what he said this week? Um, yeah, I actually didn't mind his quote that much about Marcus no, I didn't this either, didn't
0: but I'm just saying he's, an, he's another guy who said something like, really? You, you are Cincinnati. He said something to the effect of, you know, I don't get why Marcus Freeman left, but we got to show him that he made the wrong call doing so, essentially. I mean, I guess I guess it's hard to understand sometimes that it was, you know, tripling your salary move and it's a business. But I do also understand the aspect of, like, you know, you're a 19-year-old kid and, this guy recruited you and you wanted to play for him, but he's a great player, no doubt about it. But that was just another quote where I was like, huh, interesting. These guys don't talk like they're a group of five team.
1: <laughs> they are certainly not lacking confidence over at Cincinnati at all. At least in the case of uh, Deshaun Pace, like Pace had plenty of offers. Could yeah, have he gone did. to bigger schools than Cincinnati, but he chose to go to Cincinnati to play for Freeman. And then Freeman left for a bigger school, bigger program, and a lot more money. Which going back to the Brian Kelly thing, like fans who are still pissed at him over that Cincinnati fans who, to be fair, I didn't really know. There's a whole lot of them. I've got one friend who's a Cincinnati fan. I
0: think it's pretty. I think it's a pretty rabid fan base. Honestly, actually, really, uh, yeah. I mean, when Ohio State is only like an hour and a half away, there's kind of a lot of history there. Although I say that, do you know what the score was the last time we played Cincinnati and what year it was in? I do not. Notre name last played Cincinnati on October 26th, 1900, and won 57-0. to zero.
1: <laughs> Well, how could I forget that one?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was only quite some time ago. but Was um, it
1: even football back then?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I,
1: I, I'm surprised offenses are scoring 57 points. They certainly didn't pass.
0: No, yeah, I guess not. But i I think that Cincinnati fans and Cincinnati people in general are pretty rabid about their sports teams unfortunately they have not had a lot to cheer for except when bob huggins was the coach of the basketball team and i mean the Bengals still haven't won a playoff game in god knows how long right but i i will give cincinnati people credit they're pretty they're pretty diehard fans um so i I don't know but i think they're pretty rabid i would actually expect to see quite a few of them up here but back to the kelly thing now that i've gone on this tangent I don't know if they're really that pissed off about it at this point. Like it's something I'm curious about and I don't really have a great sense for it, but it's been so long. Like, like we always said, I was in eighth grade when he first came to Notre Dame. Like that's a long time ago. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the reaction is there.
1: Uh, Justin Williams, the writer for the athletic who covers Cincinnati. He says that there's still some fans and I guess some people even in the school that are still just like a little, I don't know, offended, I guess, by the way it happened. And I guess the way it went down when the leak came out that Kelly was going to take the job, I believe it happened like an hour before. The news started to surface an hour before the Cincinnati like team banquet mm-hmm. coming off an undefeated, like the best season in school history, basically. <laughs> and then at the banquet, Kelly had to address it. The awkwardness in the room, like yeah. I can't even imagine yeah. I can understand being upset about that part, but that's not Kelly's fault. Like he was trying to not have that come out, and I'm sure he had a much better plan to address it.
0: Yeah, I also don't think I've appreciated enough that it was Jeff Quinn who led that game and they lost by a hundred to Tebow. So that that's something I don't think I've really appreciated enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, what was? It? I think the final score is like 52 to nothing. And yeah, I, and they may have scored a touchdown, but it was bad.
0: It was really ugly. It was bad. So,
1: I mean, would it really have made that much of a difference? And to be honest, like Kelly went 34-6, and I believe, in his three years there. I don't think Luke Fickle would be at Cincinnati or Cincinnati would be having these these type of seasons like they've had the past couple years if it weren't for Brian Kelly sort of getting that in motion during the time that he was there, which I believe, yes, 2007 to 2009. And I know it's been a while, but he sort of got the ball rolling into what
0: they are now. Yeah, no doubt. And also, I mean, as much as I've given ritter grief, like Zach Taylor, the now head coach of the Bengals, is the guy that scouted him out of high school. He was the offensive coordinator for Cincinnati at the time and basically told Tommy Tuberville, state senator, uh, we don't want anybody else besides this guy. So took a flyer on him. Obviously, it's worked out pretty well for them so far. But
1: yeah. As for how Notre Dame is going to attack this defense, um, Cincinnati did give up. 152 yards on the ground against Indiana, Um, and the Hoosiers had so much success that Cincinnati actually was forced to switch to a four-man front to try to stop it. But then again, Notre Dame couldn't run the ball against Toledo and had three rushing yards last week against Wisconsin. So I'm not sure we should really expect much there, but, like, it's sort of now or never with this group. Like, if they can't establish any sort of rushing... I should probably shouldn't say establish. Like, Notre Dame isn't going to run the ball 30 times unless it... Rains and rain is in the
0: forecast, which yeah. is
1: pretty terrifying if you're a Notre Dame fan and given Brian Kelly's recent history and rainy games. So let's, we should have never play, seen one. What are you it?
0: talking about? I don't think we've ever played in the rain.
1: Uh, the Stanford game in 2012 it was raining, and that's the only one I the, Yeah, that, that I one recall. was good.
0: And uh, and uh, NC State in 2017, it rained that day, too. Yeah. Oh, and I guess the
1: the Navy game, it also rained. It actually rained every game at the end of the <laughs> yeah. 2017 season. So, all right, we'll just end it. Yeah, after that, no more rainy games. Yeah. Um, But you have two of the best running backs in college football. You you have to be able to get, like, 100 yards on the ground eventually. Like, if this is a weak weak spot in their defense, like – I don't even care if 65 of those come on one play. But, like, come on. Anyway, who knows who's going to be the quarterback for Notre Dame, to be honest. At the time of (sighs) us recording this, like, we haven't even mentioned it yet, but Jack Cohn appeared to abandon full pads practice Tuesday, but we're probably not going to get any true indication on his availability until probably Notre Dame's first offensive possession. He might even go out there and start. But you'll know right away if he's going to be able to move or move on that ankle, which appears to be hurt. Tyler Buckner's status is also in question as he's recovering from a hamstring injury that he suffered against Purdue. So maybe by just process of elimination, Drew Pine could be the starter. So given that, if Notre Dame's running out their third string quarterback, I don't think you're going to want to throw 50 times a game, especially if it is in the rain. So I don't really know how Notre Dame's going to attack them. What Notre Dame does have is some elite skill players. So I think you just have to put all your trust in Michael Mayer, Kevin Austin, Kyron Williams, and and even Braden Lindsay to make plays because Lindsay hasn't had that many catches, but he's extremely athletic and has actually been able to get open. And I will want to talk about him more in his bit here, but you basically just have to trust your guys to make plays against their guys. Because although Cincinnati has some dudes, Notre Dame has more talent top to bottom. It's like Basically, the inverse of when Notre Dame goes up against, like, the Alabamas. Notre Dame has really good guys, and Alabama does too, but Alabama has more depth. Notre Dame is actually in that position now where, don't get me wrong, Cincinnati has some dudes that are NFL-caliber players, but Notre Dame is just as much as those guys, if not more, and then more depth.
0: Yeah, just like they were last week, and we saw how that shook out. Exactly. All right, you want to get to uh, some predictions? Definitely. So I'll say I was considerably more worried about this game going into the Wisconsin game. In fact, I was not really worried about Wisconsin at all, as I'm sure that came through on the podcast, but (laughs) this one worried me, and I think I alluded to that. Then Notre Dame's defensive line did what it did last weekend, and like I said, Cincinnati's offensive line is the weakest part of its offense. I know people are high on him. I still think Ritter is very suspect and will turn the ball over Saturday twice. I'm going to go back to that Bryce Perkins comparison when... Brian Kelly made that comparison. I thought two things, like I mentioned. One, Perkins is a lot better than Desmond Ritter and had less work, less to work with than he does now. And I also thought that game against UVA could be exactly how this week's game goes. Do you remember that one? So, like, UVA actually led at half, 17 14. Yes. And then
1: Julian Aquara just went berserk and had the sacks. And we were just forcing a fumble every play.
0: UVA was 4 0. Going into that game, it was their Super Bowl. They came out with their hair on fire. Perkins made some incredible plays in the first half, actually. And then Notre Dame's defense simply took over with superior talent in the second half against a pretty battered offensive line. Defense ended up with eight sacks, five of which came in the second half. Also had three fumbles forced in the second half and returned one of those for a touchdown. That's quite a lot, although perhaps maybe not as much as last week. But, you know, that said, I do think... Notre Dame's physical dominance over Cincinnati's offensive line is not being talked about nearly as much as the other side of the coin. We keep hearing about Notre Dame's offensive line and how bad it is. We keep saying it, too. But at the same time, it (laughs) is a...
1: We're (laughs) certainly responsible for they. It's very much us as well. But
0: you're kind of ignoring the other side of it, and that's the bigger thing for me. So ultimately, I think that's the difference in this game as this defense gets better and better each week. The only two things that are giving me any pause in this game are what you kind of just talked about, the health of Jack Cohn and Buckner. Kelly obviously sounded more promising about Buckner this week, but I just don't know what to believe here. It seems like every time he's talked about an injury, it's been worse than what we thought it was, like with Blake Fisher. No mention of Heinisch, or, or just avoiding the question. Cohn... After the game Saturday sounded fine, and then Monday sounded a little bit worse. So I really have no idea what their status is, and that worries me. While I understand why some fans are pushing for Pine or Buckner, I really don't like the idea of a young quarterback making their first actual start against the Cincinnati defense. That worries me. And plus, I, I do think home is pressing last week, and I'm kind of, even though people are pointing out some good things, that he's missed some throws, he takes some sacks, Like I still think he's their best option out there. I really do. The other thing that's holding me up, the weather. I'm seeing 81 in thunderstorms right now. That sounds a little bit too South Florida-esque, to be honest, and I don't want to exit the stadium five separate times, as somebody alluded to me earlier today. They made that joke. And for a team that can't run the ball, that forecast is not great. So we need that to change. In closing, (laughs) I'm going to say this. At the end of the day, Notre Dame has won 26 in a row at home. The last loss was to the eventual national runner-up Georgia Bulldogs in September 2017. Brian Kelly is not losing to his former employer. I've done my best not to disparage Cincinnati as a group of five team, but to get points to them at home is, just quite frankly, absolutely fucking-lutely disrespectful. It's disrespectful to Notre, <laughs> Notre Dame. I think that just lights a fire under this team's ass, and they didn't even need that because they're so much more talented. And in this program that just keeps on winning does it again. I, like I said, I think they decor in the second half. I'm going 30-17 to 17 Irish.
1: Okay. Yeah, everyone needs to do some sort of rain dance or pray or I don't know. We can't have any rain. Are there, if it's rain, it needs to be light. It can't be like a d- downpour that eliminates a passing game. But um, look, in our season preview podcast, I picked Notre Dame to go 11-1 and with the lone loss coming this weekend to Cincinnati. At the time, I thought Notre Dame would be coming off a big win against a much better Wisconsin team, not in the sense that they're better than Notre Dame, just better than what they actually are. And that might have taken a lot out of them and could put Notre Dame in a position for a letdown against a Cincy team who is literally playing in their Super Bowl this weekend. Like, this is the biggest game, really, in their program's history. Um, and if I'm wrong, then I'm sure a Cincinnati fan will probably correct me. But. After these first four games, the trajectory of this Notre Dame season is not what I expected or you expected, or really any of us expected, other than that they'd be 4-0, which they are. Uh, but they really seem to have found something in the fourth quarter of last week that I believe will carry over into this week and beyond. And I expect Cincinnati to come into this game with their hair on fire, like the term you used, and come out hot. Uh, they could score on the first drive. They're coming off a bye so they're going to be prepared. I definitely don't think they're going to have five false start penalties like they did against Indiana. And if they do, then, like, what the hell, fickle? <laughs> like, that's, that's on you, man. If you try that again in a loud environment and just uh, – or the team is just simply incapable of handling uh, a loud crowd. And they might have some stuff in store that Notre Dame hasn't seen on tape. But once the Notre Dame defense is able to settle in, I think they're going to have a lot of success in containing Ritter and the Cincy offense. So I'm actually going to give you three predictions here for the price of one. Okay. One, whoever is playing quarterback at Notre Dame is going to finally connect with Brayden Lindsey on a deep shot this week, and they're going to need it. Lindsey's been open. He obviously had that inexplicable drop against Purdue, but Reese keeps calling plays for him, and they're there sometimes, but they just haven't been able to connect. But I think they're going to this week, and I think it's going to be big. Two, Notre Dame is going to win this one 20-13 in a defensive showdown. And then after the game, three... Marcus Freeman is going to get a Gatorade bath for finding a way to shut down his former team, and that will be the difference maker in or out to Notre Dame's fifth victory on the season.
0: Yeah, I mean we're we're a program like that's that's what we are, <laughs> and, and Cincinnati is like. I think the one foot down guys called them this. They said they're our farm system basically. And I kind of like that. They're our triple a team. Like, because (laughs) I just, I don't want to hear this. Anybody in their right mind is not picking Cincinnati at a spot that Notre Dame has not lost a game in over four years. It just doesn't make any goddamn sense. But like I said, thanks to the points again, Vegas. I'll gladly take them and I'll go laughing to the bank. So thank you.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, That's a wrap for this one. Uh, He's Luke. I'm Tyler. We'll be back next Tuesday to recap the game from this weekend. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a follow on social media at Sunset Irish. We'll talk to you Tuesday.